I guess I'll shut up. That's right, you will shut up. And you just look like an absolute clown freak that works for murdering terrorists that jack our food and water. I think you're a big joke. That's what I think you are, murdering scum. You know what it's like to go to sleep every night knowing you work for a bunch of psychotic killers and you bastards are probably going to end up killing me one day? You know what it's like knowing you've ruined my life? You know what it's like, you sons of bitches? I'm tired of your crap. You commit evil, you're part of an evil system, and we're standing up against you. And the Republic is going to defeat you in the end. Some of us won't make it personally through this, but a lot of us are. And in the end, you are going to be brought to justice for all the kids you kidnapped for CPS, all you CPS workers. All you corrupt bureaucrats, all you that have had your way with innocent children over and over again and who think your evil's invincible, you're not invincible, and God is going to deal with you, and you are cursed to hell! I'm done, i got to get out of here, I'm pissed off now. Robert Wanick, you can make some closing comments. I'll give you the last two minutes, we're going to end transmission. Make sure the guy's got your address so I can send you those videos, he can resist tyranny. I salute you. I love to be a ghoul. I love to be a goblin. When I was a little girl, my mother told me that she and my father ordered me out of a goblin catalog and five days later I arrived at their doorstep. It wasn't easy growing up as a goblin. But you know what? I wouldn't trade it for anything. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, you precocious screedlers. As you know, my name is Staff Only and I am the studio manager here. Every week, I hop my gregarious goblin ghoul ass on this microphone and tell you hello. Some of you send me emails later, complimenting me on my soothing voice. I was born with a voice for radio. I was born a fucking goblin with a radio voice. Call me Ira Ghoul. Welcome to this American Goblin. Today's episode is sponsored by Alex Jones and nobody else because he got really weird and said it hurt his feelings if we let anybody else advertise alongside him. Here's an idea, can artists please stop this dear Ivanka horse shit? You fucking fools. Anyways, I think that everybody should be listening to Turner Masters Memory Hospital. It is fucking brilliant. Look it up on your podcast app. It's time for me to throw my guts into the trash so I've got to bounce. Let's turn it over to Sean. I'm Ira Glass, welcome to Jackass. It's episode 12 of the Human the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Before we get started today, I wanted to acknowledge and thank the members of Black Lives Matter, the IWW, the DSA, Antifa, and any and everyone else who showed up in Charlottesville, Virginia last weekend to stand in solidarity and defend the city and its people against white supremacists. Racism is a foundational element of this country, whether people want to admit that or not. These people have always been here emboldened by our country's own consistent and intentional oppression of anybody who isn't straight, white, and preferably male. Uh, Donald Trump didn't invent racism. And it'd be great if everybody could stop insisting that they can't believe that this is how the United States is in 2017. 
it's always been like this. If you are white, like me, listen to black people. Listen to all people of color. Listen to queer, gay, trans, and gender non-conforming folks when they tell us that this is how it is for them and has always been for them every single day of their lives. They've been saying this for years, and lots of us have not been listening. Uh, to Heather Hare, who lost her life fighting white supremacy and all of those injured in the terrorist attack against their peaceful assembly, you will be forever remembered for your bravery and conviction. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> this week on the podcast, I am incredibly excited to have one of my favorite people and one of my favorite comedians, Liza Dye. She's out in Los Angeles, uh, being exceptionally funny every single day, and insisting that Soylent is the future of food. We caught up via Skype this weekend, and I'm sure that you all will enjoy the conversation. Please follow Liza at Liza Die on Twitter and Instagram if you know it's good for you. Here's our conversation. So, uh, anyways, Liza Die, welcome to the Humor in the Abject podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? Oh my God! Thank you for having me. It's been a while. <laughs> Haven't seen you in a while. It's. Been, I saw you a little bit ago when you were in New York because you did a show that I helped put together, which was super cool. Um, that was so fun it, at Over the Eight. Yeah, I, but I've heard Over the Eight is no no longer. It has it has closed. Yeah. Um, <gasps> oh, so sad. Quite a few places have kind of, um, like, The Annoyance closed. Uh, the Annoyance that was only open for a couple of years in New York, the Chicago-based thing. Um, I don't think that, I don't know the politics of why these places closed or the economics of it, but a little yeah. bit sad because so many people seem to have been able to do their weird shows and stuff in these spots. So. Angelica Kitchen. What's the venue <laughs> that's closing? Not Music Hall of Williamsburg. It's, um... Oh, Stephen Phillips Horst and Eric Schwartow talked about this. I can't remember which one it was, but they were. I think it's Webster Hall. That's what it was. And then I was like, I I heard that it wasn't closing, and that was clickbait, and it was just closing for renovation. Uh, but then I but then I said that on a podcast, and then it went out, and I never checked up on it. So I could be full of shit, and because I just heard that someone else heard that it wasn't really closing, so I'm probably oh interesting. Wrong. Like what they <laughs> so the Supreme store here in L.A. is just closed, and all the fuck boys what uh, all the fuck boys are like freaking out. But then my friend who works near it was like, oh, it's not really closing. Like they do that every like quarter of like you know whatever when they like go through this rebrand. So maybe. That's what Webster Hall is doing. I don't know. I've never heard of them doing that. But yeah, what yeah. I read was like, they're closing for renovation, but like forever. <laughs> oh my God. I love the idea of a Supreme store closing and people just losing their shit and having a meltdown. That's... Yeah. I mean, they do that anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> um, So we're, uh, you know, this is going to come out on Sunday, but we're recording on a Friday. Uh, how's your week before the weekend been so far? Oh my God, this week has been awful. This retrograde is kicking my ass. <laughs> Could you, 
unpack that a little bit Are you into the retrogrades? I don't, listen, I have a lot of friends that are, and I don't have any judgment on it. I am just not very versed <laughs> in it. And my impression seems to be, though, that uh, things are permanently in retrograde because oh. people are always tweeting that Mercury is in retrograde. And A, I don't understand what it means. And <laughs> B, um, it, does it happen all the time? You know, I'm... I'll just go ahead and admit I'm a poser. I don't know shit about it. (laughs) It's a very big astrology culture in LA, which I love. Um, But yeah, I have no idea what it means. Like there's this woman that my friend put me on to when I was staying at her place in Bushwick, Susan Miller. She's like the OG astrologist. So I started reading her horoscopes and stuff, which are really in depth. It'd be like four pages long. And she's very specific. And this woman was, was pretty legit. She can call things. She usually was calling things. So she came, she never, she lives in New York. She's never in LA. She came to LA and did a talk a few weeks ago at the Kimora Lee Simmons boutique in Beverly Hills, which was random, but I went, <laughs> I was like, I have to see this woman. Like there's a story that she like died one time on the operating table and came back to wow. life, like all this crazy shit. And I was like, same. So <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I would I had to go link up with her. I bought a calendar that you can see but the listeners can't. That's her calendar oh, that she makes. And it's nice. like got all of that in there. That's like Mercury will be re- in retrograde from this date and it has all the eclipses and stuff. Everyone's do, excited about the eclipse on Monday. Yeah, do other planets go into retrograde or just Mercury? Um once again, I am very much a okay. poster. <laughs> I literally fun. don't know. I can get into like, you know, a little bit of zodiac stuff, but I'm like in terms of like Capricorn traits or like Taurus traits, but like the planets and shit, I don't really, I, I'm a poser. Like I don't, I have no idea. What's your astrological sign? I'm a Capricorn. I'm Capricorn as fuck. I'm very Capricorn. When is Capricorn? What time of year? Capricorn is, this is something really interesting that I read the other, the other day. Um, Capricorn's, both begin and end every year. Oh. So Capricorns are in December and January. I think, really? I think it starts like December 22nd and then it ends on January 19th. Ooh, that's right before my sister's birthday is January 22nd. Right. So she's so, Aquarius, I guess. Aquarius. Yeah. Okay. I'm in Aries. <gasps> oh my God. My crush is in Aries and my roommate really? is in Aries. Yes. What is that? What is an Aries? I know I'm the Ram and it's usually the first one listed, but. What are the traits? I think that they are actually very similar to Capricorn. It's very similar, uh, like the actual physical signs are similar. Like Capricorn is like the goat usually, and then you guys are that ram, right? So it's like pretty similar, like driven, like hardworking, very focused, like goal-oriented. I think sometimes Aries can be probably a little bit more emotional than Capricorns. I'm just comparing (laughs) to Capricorns because... I can get get pretty emotional. I, I don't... I don't manage my emotions super well, I don't think. I think I maybe kind of, that's what it is, right? Yeah. I just slam them just right into the chest and mm-hmm. just hold them there for a really long time. And then I, I sort of have like each fiscal quarter, there will be sort of like a um, kind of like a meltdown, mm-hmm. like a, pers- a personal meltdown that I have. <laughs> yeah, I think that sounds about right. I think that might be <laughs> the, your Aries and not just Sean. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I could stand to space that out and just sort of maybe minor freakouts periodically and then, right. you know, right, be more manageable. Um, that's cool. So is uh, is L.A. nice this time of year? Are there more palm trees in the summer? How's uh, 
What's it all about? Oh my God, I love LA so much. I mean, I obviously, you know, left New York under really bad terms. I felt like it was like a bad breakup. And I'm like, we're not, New York and I don't talk anymore. Like, we're like, <laughs> but like, I'm dating LA now. Things are really going good, you know. Um, You're not putting like a name on it though or anything just yet? It's kind of like, is I it mean, still casual? Or well, are you we're pretty... coming up on our first year. So, you know, oh. we're, you know, once we hit September, it's like we will have been dating for a year. So we'll see what happens, you know. Yeah, you've already moved in. I moved in in May, even though I was here. For we actually are literally, I am in a relationship with Los Angeles. It's really funny. Um, um, are you living, do you want to say where you're living in the city? I, I have a like tertiary understanding of the geography of Los Angeles, but yeah, I'm do you curious. ever come and like hang out in LA? I feel like you don't. I do. I love Los Angeles. Oh, yes. I yes. really, really, I'm a bad New Yorker. And I really, really like Los Angeles. Oh, my God. Thank um, you so much for coming out as <laughs> a New Yorker that loves L.A. Listen, it is so hard. <laughs> are people are people a bit cagey when they meet you because you lived here first? Oh, my God. standoffish? Oh, oh my God. No. Oh, it's the opposite. Like, people in L.A. love you if you're from New York. Like, they freak out. They go ape shit because New York is, you know, it's like cool. It's like, oh, my God, you lived in New York. Everyone here is very soft, you know. Like, the straight-up people that are, like, from here could never, like, have the balls to actually live in New York. So they think you're, like, the coolest <laughs> thing ever when they find out you, that you live there. And especially when they find out what happened to me, they're like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> I mean, do you want to say what happened to you? I don't, we don't have to talk oh about my it God, if you don't yeah. want to. I, you know, it's so funny because it, I feel like it got, it became this thing in New York. You know, obviously, it's a very New York thing that happened to me, but... Um, yeah, I just forget that there's people that I will meet that like still that like don't know, you know, because it just became this huge thing there three years ago when it was happening. But yeah, I got I mean, Sean is very aware of this, obviously, everyone that I knew in New York at the time. But in 2014, I was in this really crazy accident and I got hit by a subway train in New York. And I'm talking to you now on this podcast. So I obviously didn't die. <laughs> But it's crazy, very crazy. I have a lot of um, like pretty extensive um, like damage to my left leg. Like basically my entire left leg is like completely scarred and it's had a lot of plastic surgery. And, you know, if for any if there's any like medical folks listening, the type of injury I sustained is called a degloving. Which basically what does that mean? That it, I mean, it's pretty much named for what happened. Oh, right? Just like yeah. take a okay. glove off. That's pretty much I got it. And so the train just kind of ripped everything off my leg, like skin, muscle tissue. Do you remember like you probably don't watch Jimmy Fallon much, but like do you remember when he was like wearing like a bandage on his finger for a really long time? Jimmy Fallon, mm. not um Kim. No, no. When that's in New York. I know the difference, but oh, okay. no, I don't remember that. <laughs> I know Jimmy Fallon because he was the one who always fucked up every SNL sketch that he was in because right. he would start laughing. Exactly, him. <laughs> I get the white Jimmys confused. I get the white Jimmys <laughs> and the white Chris's confused in show business. So I was probably trying to differentiate for myself to make sure I was talking about the proper one. But anyway, we had the same injury. I remember one day I went to go see my plastic surgeon and he was like, I know another comedian that had a degloving injury. And I was like, ooh. He was like, Jimmy Fallon, he... Uh, his wet his wedding finger got caught on something and it was a deal <gasps> it ripped everything off his finger and oh apparently his staff and everybody that worked at you know late night 
tonight with Fallon or whatever would like give him a hard time and they'd be like oh you're faking it like you're wearing that soap for so long you don't need to wear it and it was like actually it was a really bad injury <laughs> oh my god um uh, but yeah but you i mean you survived that and that's just like i don't know i a am just in awe of that and the fact that you didn't let that define you and that you are able to talk about it and i mean i've had you as you were a guest in one of my classes a few years ago and you that was pretty you know not too distant from it and you were just cracking jokes about it and like you're like <laughs> you're like do y'all want to see it and the class was like yeah and i was like <laughs> but just being able to process like a trauma like that and turn it into something funny is everybody talks about that's where you know a lot of comedians draw from this or that or what have you but not at that level usually you know there's a that's like a, you had a near-death experience. I mean, oh, truly, you... yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's very crazy. And, you know, it's it's definitely one of those, like, cheesy moments where it puts everything into perspective, certainly. And, you know, you don't really, like, I mean, I feel like I have a completely new life. And that's another reason I'm really grateful that I was able to, like, move to Los Angeles and just kind of, you know, have a clean slate. Like, I couldn't imagine if I had to, like, ride the train every day that I was hit by or, like, you know, like oh, my, my God. mom. yeah. My mom is yeah. just like, please don't take, ride the train again. I'm like, all right. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot. But I, I definitely am able to like, you know, develop this, re- you know, Los Angeles is really, it's really conducive to my healing process, you know, being here. Yeah. Well, you've got sunshine. It's not like sunshine, not snow everywhere. You yeah. Can, like, it's a very You don't have to get on the train. Totally. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> it's great here. I'm, I'm thriving. Um, but I do miss everyone in new york like i wish that i could you know after living here for a year i get i get it like i get why new yorkers talk so much shit about la and i get why like everyone in new york is like people in la suck like it's true (laughs) but so i wish that i could take like everyone in new york and just like bring them here you know they'll give it five years and they'll all bail and probably go there i feel like even though there was like this horrible traumatic incident you probably cut like a good five years of time out when you would have just been like no i'm gonna keep trying this when in the back of your head you were like i want to go to los angeles probably the whole time and then you did like uh you did like a jump forward like in a video game when you get to like skip a bunch of levels or something oh my god that's such a good way to describe it i've been trying to figure out how to explain like yeah that's literally how it went like I had wanted to move here for so long anyway and this accident just like sped up the process for that and like you said like in the video game just I got to like jump up a few levels <laughs> um geographically speaking um yeah wait not- so oh so where are you living though and I live in like I live right on the border of Los Feliz and Silver Lake which is kind of like so very I have cool whole, yeah I have this whole like the whole year that I've been living here, I'm like, oh, okay, so is this neighborhood kind of like the green point of LA? Or like, is this neighborhood <laughs> like the, like Canal Street? Like, it's so funny. So <laughs> Silver Lake, Los Feliz, it's kind of like the Williamsburg. Yeah. You know, Bush. Yeah. I think Koreatown is the Bushwick of LA. I was staying at my, on my friend's couch in Koreatown before I got this apartment. Um, Koreatown's definitely the Bushwick of LA. Like, it's very, it's getting very gentrified. It's like the up and coming area. Like, people are moving in there. And, um, is that where like the mocha and like Geffen and that stuff is? is well, the thing that Koreatown? I learned, sort of, yeah. So, cr- the thing that I just learned recently, someone that was like born and raised in LA was telling me that like Koreatown and downtown Los Angeles are pretty much just going to morph into like one big 
like lower Manhattan-ish, if you will, area <laughs> in the next like few years. Like, so yeah, it's basically kind of in the same area. Like Koreatown's just a hop and a skip to downtown LA, which is where all those museums and like the arts district and stuff is. Yeah, because I would go out there periodically to do the um, the Los Angeles Art Book Fair, and that was at the that was at the Geffen Contemporary, which um, I'm terrible with like directions, but I seem to recall being very close to Koreatown because mm-hmm. I went to dinner there several times, and I could walk there from there. For sure. Um, but no, that's cool. I really do like Los Angeles a lot. I have a friend who, you know, I lived out in Portland for a while, and one of our buddies. Uh, went to LA and we got to go, I got to go stay with him a little over a year ago. And I, it was like April. So in New York, it was, um, it was still shitty. Um, it was still pretty gross in New York. And I just went there. And the funny thing was everywhere that he wanted to go to, he, he mostly walked in his neighborhood. I mean, he drove to work and stuff, but a lot of the stuff that we wanted to do, he was just like, oh, we'll just go to this place or something. Right. And I was like, so everyone is lying to me in New York that you can't just <laughs> like go get a drink in your neighborhood or something. And he seemed uh, he seemed very comfortable cruising around. But I liked uh, I stayed in Silver Lake one time when I went there and I think it was in. Is it hot? Is it Los Feliz or Los Feliz? I feel like people pronounce it different ways. And oh, my God. That's a whole. There. There's so many little like. You know, mm-hmm. you know how there's like the East Williamsburg drama in, in New oh, York. Verse, like, yeah, you know, depending on if like, you're a realtor or a resident. Exactly. Yeah. And people be like, <laughs> like when I first moved to New York in like 2011, like these girls straight up were I almost witnessed like a fight break out between these girls because they were like East Williamsburg isn't real. Like, that's not even, you know, <laughs> so, like, yeah, the whole like, un- like the pronunciation. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, actually. Um, yeah, the, the whole enunciation thing, I don't know. I mean, I don't really feel comfortable speaking on that because I'm not from here. I've only been here less than a year, but like, I will say that Spanish and like in the, it is, you know, it is a Spanish language, right? the word Feliz. So it's like, that's how it is said. So, but like white people here say whatever they say, I don't even know how they say it, but it's not right. Um, but that's what they do. <laughs> um, and then uh, I was asking, because when I was there one time, I was in Los Feliz and with some friends and we happened to be walking down the street and they were taking me to um, some very like hip bookstore or something like that. And uh, we walked by this house and I, I'm I may be like making up minor parts of this memory in my head, but the gate was the only gate that was like kind of wrought iron. Like all the rest was very like California vibe and this house just looked a little darker. And one of my friends was like, that's Glenn Danzig's house. (laughs) And I was like, what? And then we looked and he was in the driveway, like (laughs) working on his like working on his black truck. But he had to have like a step stool to get into the hood because he's really short. And it was a really exciting moment for me because this person that when I was a little tween, I was obsessed with is, you know, I'm like six or seven inches taller than him now. And I'm not a tall dude. So that was, yeah. a, I feel like I'm not good at seeing famous people. So I would probably be a really annoying resident in LA. I like really, <laughs> I really want to say Did you say, say something hi. to him? No, he was pretty far away. But yeah, I, I saw Larry David here the other day. And I didn't say anything. And he was by himself walking down the street. And he looked really, he was staring up at the buildings in like Soho, 
with like his hands in his pockets and he just looked really upset and was like looking at all the bit looking exactly like you think he would look yeah i was about to say isn't that like his thing i i (laughs) i I tried recently to watch curb your enthusiasm for i think it was my third time and it never ends well but then people were messaging me like no you gotta skip to like season three and i was like well i don't want to skip that's not how it works like i'm trying to get it chronologically anyway yeah, yeah it seems like that's his whole thing it's just like pissed off like old white man he's just mm-hmm. right very upset what are these buildings doing here well people live in them um yes. I don't know about, <laughs> but i didn't say hi to him so i felt i felt pretty cool i was just like nice just saw larry david no well you kept, fit right in moving. la because people like you know everyone like sucks everyone's dicks but then they pretend <laughs> like they don't care at the same time it's very it's a very interesting balance what happens yeah. here <laughs> I watched that. I don't know what it was, but it was a little clip. Um, you're like at a sleepover with these oh, two women. Uh, and uh, you ba- they're basically asking you, you know, you just moved to L.A. What have you learned? And you're like, people do not like being asked what they do here. It's, it's weird. It's so weird. <laughs> it happened the other night. Like I was at a dinner party and some girl was talking to the girl next to me. And she was like, I hate that I'm going to ask this, but like, what do you do? And then the other girl didn't really have a response. She was like, oh, I'm like, I make art. And I was like, oh, it's weird that you didn't just say you were an artist. Like you said, I make art. Anyway, yeah, people are weird (laughs) about that in LA. People are weird. Once again, I get it. After being here a year, like I get everything that um, all the New Yorkers always try to warn me about. That's funny because like here it's straight up just like somebody will be like, what do you do for a living? And then I'll tell them, they'll be like, where do you live? And yeah. I'll tell them. Then they'll be like, what's your rent? Yeah. <laughs> like, they'll no, straight up ask like, me what I pay in yeah, rent. and that's how I was. And I still kind of am like that here. But I definitely, you know, obviously came here and was like, oh, what do you do? What do you do? And people would be like, no, don't, don't. Why do you ask that? Like, no. Because <laughs> um, people here, like, slip into this laziness, which is what the girl told me, right? She was like, well, people are, like, very, like, dreamers here, you know, and stuff. So I guess, I don't know. Pe- like I said, people are kind of, like, really softies out here. <laughs> but it's cool. <laughs> That's cool. I want to go someplace where I'm a tough guy. I think that would be. Oh, I think that I, would yeah. Be cool. That's like I said, like they gag if when they hear that you lived in New York, they're like, oh, my God. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you mentioned um, you mentioned your mom a little bit ago. And she lives in South Carolina. Is that where you're from? I was born in Connecticut and my dad lived there. So I would spend time with him. He passed away when I was 12. But yeah, I went to high school and college and stuff in South Carolina. Do you have a fondness for that area or is it just kind of like a, I'm just asking because I've talked to a few different people on here who kind of, as they've gotten older, have begun to be okay with the place that they sort of grew up. But while they were there, they didn't like it. But I don't know what your experience with that is like. I'm sure it's, it's the South. I'm sure it's a little complicated. Those people, were they from the South or just like... No, these are people who are from like, they might be from the Midwest or they're from like this place or that place and they didn't like it. And then now that they're older, they're kind of like, oh, I actually kind of... I feel a nostalgia for it or something. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've definitely heard that for sure. And that's what happened to my mom, right? She moved to Connecticut when she was like really young and had me. And then like as soon as she got, you know, got into her like late 30s, she went back home. Like, you know, people miss it. But I mean, I'm 28. I'll be 29 next year. So I don't know if I've hit that moment yet, but I don't know if I will. I mean, South Carolina is pretty rough like uh, i mean rough in terms of like if you are like a creative like queer person of color like it's not the most like the best place for you to thrive in um and yeah you are kind of if you're just a creative of any type like you kind of are like fighting tooth and nail to like escape like you kind of have to escape um south carolina like north carolina georgia 
Yeah. Um, Tennessee, Alabama, you know, those really like the real Mason Dixon areas. Um, yeah. I lived in Virginia for a minute, but um, that's not, that is only South and it's like audacious, like kind of insistence that, I mean, I know it was the seat of the Confederacy, but it's mm-hmm. like, it still feels outside of the insane amount of monuments and Confederate flags. It feels very mid Atlantic, mm-hmm. like the kind of, the places around it don't feel so much like when I've been further into the South where it has a very distinct kind of character or something like that. For sure. Um, what was, what was young Liza like? Oh God. Um, I haven't, I don't know. She just probably very like curious. I used to like take things apart and put them back together. Like I thought I was going to be like an engineer at one point. I would like take CD players apart and put them back together. I took my first like Dell desktop apart one time. <laughs> um, and That's then a big I, project. Yeah, I was just so curious. My mom, I grew up like in a like my mother loves music, and I got my good taste in music from her. And she had a lot of vinyls around. She would play them and stuff. And I was always just so fascinated when CD when CD players came out, like compact discs, like the yeah. You know, um, the personal players, I was so fascinated by the lens. I didn't understand. Like I wanted to know so badly, like how it could like read all the words and like play the music, like from little tiny things. So yeah, I would just like take things apart, build little things. I was pretty nerdy. And then, yeah, I ended up working at like an Apple store in college and stuff. Um, (laughs) Where were you going to college? I went to a very tiny liberal arts school in Charleston, South Carolina called the college of Charleston. The College of Charleston. Yeah, it's really cute. It's the, like 10 minutes from the beach. Like, I was in the School of the Arts there. So it's it was a fun little time. It's like a little bite town. Charleston is very cute, um, minus the racism. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Are you, uh, wait, what were you, what were you doing at the liberal arts school? What kind of stuff were you studying? Were oh, my God. To, I've like, been I'm doing... Be a comic. No, God, no. I didn't start doing stand-up till I moved to New York. And like, not even when I moved to New York, like I was kind of like fell into this fashion thing when I first moved there because it was paying my bills. And then I, I probably didn't do start doing stand-up until like a year or two before I left. Not, not even that. I started doing stand-up. My first time doing stand-up was 2013, like July, 2013. Really? Yeah, I have not been doing it long at all. And then, you know, my accident happened in February 2014. So I only had a few months under my belt, Um, which is crazy. Everything happened so fast in that amount of time. But things move quickly in New York. You know, it's a very fast pace, you know. So, um, yeah. It's funny. I was talking to like, uh, I had Anna Fabrega, who's this brilliant comedian on the podcast. And she started in 2013, too. And I was just like, you're like... It, it's pretty wild, though. But yeah, I think it's it's definitely like a New York climate thing where you have to be pretty like you're on it and on it. Because I think I, I saw you for the first time at John Early used to do a show at the cake shop mm-hmm. uh, when he was still in New York. And that was like probably oh, wait. fall he, 2014. I know, so you said when he was still in New York, is he not pulling off the bicoastal thing as well anymore? <laughs> Is he, just, do New Yorkers perceive him as an LA person now? I I am saying this not I don't know John this personally. This is the but tea. I, I'm no, saying tea. I'm saying this because he was on Bo and Yang and Matt Rogers' podcast Las Culturistas, which is very very funny. I just had Bo on a little bit ago, but they had John early on, and he was very adamantly talking about how he is now living in LA. 
Oh, and interesting. That, I, I'm basing it on that. I'm if he's saying he's bi-coastal, then um, John Early's bi-coastal. I don't want to be the. <laughs> I'm not trying to blow the lid off anything. Amazing. No, I I think he is as well. Um, he. <laughs> I, was, I mean, he's in he's in New York pretty frequently. I see him on like bills for stuff that are happening. Right? Yeah, here, I so. think he's still doing like somewhat of a monthly show at like Joe's Pub and stuff. Right? I don't know, but yeah, Cake <laughs> Shop is no more. Um, but yeah, I got to do that with him after my accident and stuff. So we did a few little things together after my accident because he was the person that I was actually on the way to go meet that the morning that I had my subway accident. I was going to shoot. Oh. I was on the way to shoot something with John early. These girls oh my gosh. just for something um, where we had to have, have like pre-written jokes about the movie Cruel Intentions and oh. neither of us had ever seen it. Like John had never seen it <laughs> and I had never seen it. So I was like, well, let's just get together that in the morning and like we'll watch it and make breakfast and like write our jokes and then we'll go shoot it. And yeah, I never made it like he. Oh, my God. That, that sounds sounds like a very crazy. different day than you had. Yeah. <laughs> it, oh <my>. <laughs> crazy, you know. Um, oh my gosh. So, um, I wanted to ask you too, you have talked a little bit about, you know, not just to me, but to other people about not just this kind of like, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do what I want after your accident and things like that, but how your life got put into a different type of perspective. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm curious if that's, cause you've, you've mentioned to me before too, that you're like very interested in spirituality and I'm curious what that means for you. Is that like a, is that a particular religious position? Is it something private or is it just sort of like a, I mean, what's your take on that? Ooh, that's such a loaded question. I'm trying to figure out where to start with it. Um, yeah, I, well, my, my mother is very spiritual. My mother, when I was growing up, she always said, I'm not religious i'm spiritual like she was never like the traditional like black southern baptist woman who would like make me wake up and go to church and sunday school like she was never like that my mom's an artist so she's really cool and like open-minded yeah i'm like so grateful for her she is amazing and she had the worst childhood so it like i'm like in shock every day that she was able to like raise me with so much love and like culture and you know um anyway so yeah she so that's kind of a little bit about like little lies and just like the environment that I was in. So I've never, you know, I've never been crazy into like religion or like God and stuff. Like, I think I probably always believed in God. You know, there's obviously some sort of higher power uh, unless you're like, I get, what is it? Is it like atheist or I guess agnosticism is like, I don't, there's nothing. But, no, I th um, agnosticism is like, I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. But I, you know, not really going to take it. I'm not, it's sort of like being, is it's it like Switzerland? Ambulance. Is that the country that never takes a side in a war? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Like, we need to start doing that, though. <laughs> yeah. Then, like, we're just not going to choose. We plead the fifth as a country. And then, yeah. And then atheism is like a staunch, a staunch disavowal of, okay, yeah. any, so it wasn't, of any higher power, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. So it was never that for me. Like, I always was like, there's obviously some sort of, you know, even if it's like on a minimal scale of like, if you put good energy out into the world, like, you'll get it back, you know, whatever. So, but I... Yeah, just had some very like surreal eye-opening moments when I was in the hospital after my accident with like prayer and um, just being in a, like just immense amounts of pain, you know, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, and 
Um, you know, going through having, you know, maybe having to get my leg amputated, you know, it's a lot that a person will go through mentally already, a trauma that heavy, but then like, you know, surviving and having your leg, but then it being like, oh, you might not get to keep it. Like we may have to take it. You know, that's a lot. Oh my God. Um, so yeah, I just had these very real, I had a very specific like moment of prayer. I never was like a huge prayer, but like I would have these really, really terrible bandage changes and it was like just it was pro- the bandage changes for sure were more painful than the initial like I was, you know, I, I remember like waking up in the tracks and stuff with the first train car above me and stuff. And like I was awake for all of that, like for them, cr- like lifting the train off of me and everything. Oh, my God. And these bandage changes were for sure, I think, more painful than that. You know what I mean? Just to give yeah. an idea, like just, you know, imagine, you know, when you have like a, a cut or something, taking the bandaid off like your entire leg is the cut. Like they're just ripping this like giant bandaid off. Like it was very, very bad. And it would happen every day, every day. The class just would come in at like 6am. I developed anxiety because of it. Like I still have trouble going to sleep because I wouldn't go to sleep. I would just stay up all night. There was a clock right above my bed. I would just watch the clock all night. Knowing that that was going to happen. They're coming. Right. So this was happening. And, um, I, my, I have a cousin who's a nurse in South Carolina. And she would be like the only person that I would know that would be awake at that time. Right. Cause she would be up for work herself. So I would always text her. And she was also one of the people that could like stomach the like gory images of my leg. Like I would take pictures of it and send it to her. She'd be like, Oh, it's <laughs> and so we developed this relationship. And then she, I was telling her about it. I, her name's hope. I was like, hope I cannot take any more pain. Like I, no one can tell me how long it's going to last. No one has any answers for me because it's a very rare injury. You know, people yeah. that get hit by subway trains, if they don't die, then they it's amputation immediately. So no it's one not can, like you can you can't find like a there's not like a support group that can come and meet in your room to talk about like, oh, how do you cope with this? I mean, or something. it's, it's just, like that's that thought is like so far out because you're just so doped up on morphine at that point. Like that's something that happens like years later. You know what I mean? Like when your brain actually really starts to process what happened to you and your trauma. And so, yeah, you're just kind of alone navigating that situation. Like it's not like a broken bone where it's like, Oh, it'll be six to eight weeks to heal. And the blah, blah, blah. It's like the doctors are like, we don't know. We're just going to try this and see. So no one had any answers for me. I didn't know how long I was going to be in pain for. And I just could not take anymore. Like I was like, I'm at, that's it. I'm at my max of like pain that I can take. I mean, I was getting ketamine injections. Like it was so bad. And, um, my cousin was, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to tell him they amputated like, because I just, I can't do it. I I don't know what this is going to be like. And I'm not equipped for this. And my cousin was like, you know what, just pray just like ask God to like, just tell him everything you told me. And that's one thing my mom always taught me about praying. Like my mom prays a lot. She's like, you know, it's so, it, just talk to God, like how you and I are talking, like just talking. And I say God use in, you know, but it can be literally whoever it can be Buddha, whatever you're, you know, you identify with is your higher power, but just like, it's just a conversation. And so I did that. And I was just like, I cannot take this pain. I, you know, I don't know what to do. And they came in for the next bandage change that morning. And I just kind of like closed my eyes like, and they were like, all right, we're all done. And I was like, what? I didn't feel a thing wow. that morning. And that really like shook me to my core. And I've been praying, <laughs> <laughs> I've been praying ever since. And everything that I pray for usually happens. Um, yeah, the, the mindset is such a huge part of it. And however somebody gets there, if it's through if they are praying or if it's through any other type of just having something that you kind of are 
because you're talking about this moment where you're like, I don't know that I have something to look forward to because of this pain. I just want this to end. And then so many people, though, who have illnesses, and of course, you know, this doesn't work all the time, but people who have illnesses and maintain like this kind of, uh, through all odds, maintain a positivity or like some belief or some hope or like admit that like this is outside of my control, but I can do this to try to bring it to a better place. Um, it's pretty astounding how people can heal and what their bodies can do in connection with their mind and just like putting it out beyond themselves to say, whatever's there, please come in and help heal. Yeah, that's it. And I'm, and that's a big part of it too, you know, just like humbling yourself enough to ask for that help. Right. Cause I feel like we as humans, a lot of time, like we get so, especially when you live in New York, you're so focused. (laughs) I was just going to say Like, yeah, yeah, no, in New York, it's like, I'm going to do this. I don't need, you know, it's like, um, so yeah, it's, that's a huge part of it. It's just when you are able to humble yourself enough to be like, you know what, I cannot do this on my own. I need help other than like what a human being can do for me. And, yeah. um, yeah, if you just, and, and I've, it really is like very simple. Like I think churches and religion cloud it. It's so easy. It's just like, just be a fucking good person. Just put good energy <laughs> out and you will get it back. You know what I mean? Like that's literally all it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, th- I think about that too. in a lot of other ways it's- around, um, art communities and comedy communities and things like that. And sometimes I kind of just pause and reflect on the people that, I feel that I'm close to or whose work I really love or that I respect. And so many times I kind of just remember that most of these people are so damn nice, like mm-hmm. and not in a, not in some shitty annoying way or not in some like meek way or whatever. I mean, they're very driven people, but there's a, they have a humbleness to them and like just a, a niceness that's so, so refreshing and that just like any other body like the body of these communities gets stronger and bigger because of it which is for really sure cool to see we, you know we made the joke that once he gets into office it's one thing if he has some establishment folks to guide him through the minds of moria he used the lord of the rings analogy they're not a J.R.R. tolkien fan you, you won't know what i'm talking about but i think most people are from the movies it's one thing if he has a guide that's kind of a bad guy to take him through the minds of moria or under the mountain but if you you know if you catch him kissing goblins, or if you catch him in bed with a goblin, you know, that's a problem. If he say signs onto the TPP, that's in bed with a goblin. Trump charging into a goblin's nest, kissing goblins, goblin vomit, catch him in bed with a goblin. Now, because we're gonna have a new scale here, I'm actually gonna have it made digitally where it's on a scale of goblins. You know, is he charging into a goblin's nest, hacking him to pieces, or is it just going, you know, around the goblins? Is it kissing goblins, even though you still stab them, you give them a kiss? Or is it catching them in bed with a goblin? And then the final scale, is Trump going to have babies with a goblin and actually help the New World Order and turn against us like Darth Vader? Is he going to marry a goblin? Can you just learn about another level of the scale? Not just in bed with a goblin, marry a goblin. Um, I want to do a quick 180 here. Um, what's your beef with Beyonce? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Do you still have any? (laughs) You know, I, I just went down a vine rabbit hole the other day. Like I have watched those already and I just kind of like, 
was like, I'm going to watch some of Liza's vines and just was like, there were ones that I hadn't seen before. And I was just like kind of losing it. I have to say you were probably one of my, one of my biggest like supporters during my like exposed (laughs) Beyonce era. (laughs) And, you know, I have since, you know, pulled back on the reins. I do. I, I have kind of morphed my exposing Beyonce material into like I think Beyonce tried to kill me material. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, guess what train I was hit by? Yeah, the B, the B train. train. Like it's like <laughs> if people are like, wait, what? I'm like, no, actually, though, that's the train that hit me. Um, no, I. You know, she is such a powerhouse. It's yeah. like not even worth it at this point. Like, actually, it's funny that you were talking. Uh, or I did a show with Casey Jane Ellison recently and we were talking, I was going off on Wonder Woman. I've been doing like this Wonder Woman bit recently because everyone was like, oh, it's so amazing. And I saw it and I hated it. Like I <laughs> have this very like Brooklyn part of me that, yeah. I, you know, does not work in LA. Like people are not ready for it ever. Because you don't know who worked on that movie that you're at dinner with or whatever, or who's in the audience. <laughs> right, that's the, yeah, that's very much the mood in LA, right? It's like, oh, you don't want to offend anybody? Like, the producer might be, you know, it's like, yeah, that, and everyone's like, oh, I need a job, like, I don't want to offend. But yeah, I hated the movie, and so I've been talking about it in stand-up lately, and Casey and I were talking about it after the show, she was like, honestly, because a girl was like, oh my god, I hated it too, like, during my set, and I was like, thank you. <laughs> later, Casey was like, you know what, I hated it too, like, it's not, but it's not even worth hating, like, that's how I feel, that's where I am with Beyonce, I'm like, it's not even worth trying to expose her anymore, because... <laughs> I always, my thing was always like, I I legitimately couldn't tell if you even had an opinion on her or if it was just such ripe kind of content to do because people will stand for her like crazy to a degree that like just making fun of her for 10 seconds is... No, it so. is very much rooted in love for me. I, I probably should, should get should have at the time gone more into it. And when I would talk about it in standup, I had, I talk about it in an episode called Chelsea Peretti, like her and she would like, I, she would let me call in and I, her and I would like go toe to toe about Beyonce in some earlier episodes of her podcast. But, um, <laughs> I used to be a big Beyonce fan, you know, and she just reached like the sort of Michael Jackson point where her career was just so powerful. And she was just, you know, she, but she, those things and i think my mom was telling me that like wendy williams has started to expose her my mom was like wendy was talking about the, the beyonce stuff you were talking about years ago like she was oh, saying that Lord. beyonce was a thief and she stole this and, that. and i was like <laughs> i tried to tell y'all <laughs> so yeah it, it used to just be like it was more of a disappointment for me you know as a fan like she used to win like these ASCAP songwriter of the year awards and stuff and it's like now she has like 40 people writing on one song you know it's just kind of it's it's out of control but it's fine like when I was a Beyonce fan there wasn't even a beehive you know what I mean like <laughs> so it's it's out of control but yeah I've I've made peace I'm trying to make my peace with Beyonce just as much as I'm trying to make my peace with New York City you know yeah, I I wanted to ask though, not so much. I'm not trying to dig up shit, but I was actually really curious about when you're doing those super short pieces for Vine, and also like just the little bits when I've seen you go into it and stand up and stuff like that. Um, are you just like do you just sit around and just kind of like say things out loud and be like, can I sound like Beyonce this way? Or are there very <laughs> specific things that you're like, I'm going to figure out how Beyonce would say this, or are you just sort of around the house just looking at things and being like 
<laughs> doing your Beyonce voice about the blender or something. Because they're, they're so niche and ridiculous. Like the one where she wants Jay to read a book to her. <laughs> like, you I can really barely don't... remember these. This is so funny that you're just like, <laughs> well, what's, just... what's this one? I'm like. <laughs> I do like, I go pretty hard before I talk to people and like re- dive into like everything that I've ever seen of theirs just so I feel fresh but just the like you literally it's just your eyes you reach a finger out you almost touch a book and then you just say Jay come read this book to me (laughs) it's like nine syllables but it sounds it's just so fucking the economy of it is what I'm really interested in like just how quick it's like you're not you don't even have to like physically inhabit her it's just like this you create this tiny little blip where it's like so funny and i just don't know if that's something that you're writing down if you're like i'm gonna give this a go oh my god no i mean it for me it's all in the like the voice like i've always been very into voices i love like animation and like closing my eyes like trying to figure out whose voice it is and stuff like i've done that my whole life and yeah for I got invited to do like an SNL showcase, like right before my accident. And like, I just did like every impression. Like I was doing like Whoopi Goldberg and like Rihanna, like (laughs) Michelle Obama, like Tyra Banks, like all these people. I even did like Brad Pitt. Like I thought it'd be funny to throw like a random white man in there. Um, Yeah. I'm, I'm very rusty on the impressions though. I haven't been practicing at all, but I'm pretty good about just being able to like watch an interview and like really closely, like mimic the voice. So yeah, yeah, it's for me, the process is like just getting the voice down. And then in terms of like the content of what she's saying, like, it's just kind of whatever I usually I, I try to keep my stand up topical, you know? Um, yeah. So it's, it's just whatever's going on. Like when she was pregnant with the twins, I'd be like, let me run these baby name ideas by you. Like just whatever <laughs> is happening in, in her life or in pop culture at that moment and just have her talking about that or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that. Uh, people enjoy that right like what would like i'm doing this like beyonce coming out bit now like if like because i'm like oh i i really want to see like a gay beyonce you know and then i just have this whole thing about her coming out to jay-z right now um and then i bring jay-z in right because his mom actually did come out as like a lesbian yeah 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 um so yeah it's fun i think people like to hear like beyonce's thoughts like what they would think you know (laughs) yeah well speaking of um famous people uh, being lesbians, do you have any do you have any celesbian news for me or for the listeners? I wish the ladies are so quiet right now. There's not much <laughs> happening aside from like Kristen Stewart and Stella Maxwell getting a dog. Like there isn't much <laughs> going else going on. Like Harry Brown seems really quiet. You know, Cara Delevingne is doing whatever she's doing. You know, the ladies that really run the the celesbian empire haven't been yeah. giving us a lot of content lately. But you know. This time last year, we had we it was an abundance of lesbian content. Like Kristen Stewart was like h- hooking up with St. Vincent, and St. Vincent was like with Cara Delevingne. She like broke up with her, and it was there was so much happening. Like Carrie Brown scene was like with Taylor Schilling. Like there was a lot. We got a lot of content last year. So um, maybe every maybe everybody's just fucking less now. I mean, it seems like I know people's, people's libidos are a little. <laughs> it's millennials are destroying you know celebrity how, lesbian yeah, sex. You know, the new like thing on Twitter, like, <laughs> millennials are killing sex. <laughs> like, I keep trying to think about things that millennials have killed, and uh, the other day I realized that I think quite literally millennials have killed the um, magazine rack next to the toilet industry. <laughs> like I haven't, oh I haven't God. read. That's I just look true. at my phone. 
Let's look at my phone. I used to have like God, amazing. My dad still has a bunch of magazines by the toilet. He has like um, Angler. It's like a fly fisherman magazine. Uh-huh. And he's he's like a white guy in northern Michigan. So there's definitely like an L.L. Bean catalog in there <laughs> that, right. I've, that I've read, you know, while I'm home for Christmas. Yeah, we stuff. do just look at our phones. That's funny. <laughs> it's the time. It's, that's a good time to catch up on like Instagram stories. And, <laughs> well, and to produce content. Like yeah. you've really got, you know, you've got to keep putting it out. What if um, Kanye West one time said, yeah, I tweet when I'm on the toilet because that's when I think of the best shit. um well liza i know that you've got to go and go to a meeting so i want to wrap this up but i wanted to say thank you so much for doing this over skype and i'd really love to see you the next time that you're in new york and i hope that everybody who's listening who doesn't know liza's stuff already which i think a lot of people do actually um but please check it out follow liza on twitter it's at liza die correct that's correct it's liza die on uh Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, <laughs> whatever else there is. <laughs> it's just Liza Dye, L-I-Z-A-D-Y-E. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Liza. It was really awesome to talk to you today. Yes. And, thank you, uh, Sean. It was great talking with you as well, catching up. Yeah. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next week. Oh, I'm a gummy bear. Yes, I'm a gummy bear. Oh, I'm a yummy, tummy, funny, lucky gummy bear. How fake it all is. The football, the basketball, the, the Lady Gaga, the Justin Bieber, uh, you know, who g- gives you these carbon tax messages. They tell your kids they got to love Justin Bieber, and then Bieber says, hand in your guns, pass the Cybersecurity Act, and, uh, you know, uh, the, the police state's good, and then, and then your children are turned into mindless vassals who, who now they, they look up to some twit instead of looking up to Thomas Jefferson or, or looking up to Nikola Tesla. Or looking up to, uh, to Magellan. I mean, kids, Magellan's a lot cooler than Justin Bieber. He circumnavigated with one ship the entire planet. He was killed by wild natives before they got back to Portugal. And when they got back, there was only like 11 people alive of the 200-and-something crew. And the entire ship was rotting down to the waterline. That's destiny. That's will. That's striving. That's being a trailblazer and explore going into space mathematics quantum mechanics the secrets of the universe it's all there life is fiery with its beauty it's incredible detail tuning into it they want to shut your mind talking about justin bieber it's pure evil they're taking your intellect your soul and giving you michael jordan and bieber Unlock your human potential! Defeat the globalists who want to shatter your mind, your doorways to perception. I want to see you truly live. I want to see you truly be who you are. Ah, I don't want my progeny who's coming, my unborn grandchildren and great-grandchildren, to live in this nightmare system these control freaks have created where these wicked globalists are so threatened by human potential, they poison the water, the vaccines, the food, to turn us into a bunch of slugs, a bunch of lobotomized sloths so they can control us. It is a crime. It is the most jealous, envious, greedy, hateful, sickening thing the New World Order does, and that's why 
I am so pleased to be committed in the fight against them. That's why I don't care about my own life, except I want to continue to live to fight them. That's why I don't have fear. I only have fear of myself and my flesh and not being up to the challenge.